Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, a place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good evening. And together we hope to educate, inspire, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we're chatting with Dr. Emily. Emily is a pelvic floor physical therapist in Phoenix, Arizona, who's passionate about all things wellness, movement, low toxic living, and women's health in general. I can't tell you how excited I am because this is something I really don't know a whole lot about. I'm just going to out myself in the very beginning, <laughs> but I think it's impacted me because I've birthed three babies and I also think, you know, it's probably impacted more people than they know. So thank you, Emily, for being here on the show. Yeah. I'm so excited to dive in. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about pelvic floors. Yes. I bet that's a sentence you say a lot more than I do because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's ever come out of my mouth. Okay. So before we start throwing around the, the term pelvic floor... Let's give us give us the fourth grade version of which <laughs> part of the anatomy we're talking about and the functionality of, of what the pelvic floor is and what it does. Yeah. So I talk about the pelvic floor like a sling or a trampoline that sits in your pelvic bowl. It connects all the way from your sacrum and your tailbone all the way to your pubic bone. So you can kind of think of it like a little happy trampoline or sling in there. And it's all muscles. I should have grabbed my pelvic model. But if you looked at a pelvic model, all of the red is all muscle. And mm. so that's your pelvic floor. But the function of the pelvic floor, so obviously there's a lot of organs that sit in there. For women, we've got our uterus, your bladder, your rectum. It allows us to have babies, to have sex, to pee, to poop. So those are most of the things that I work with. All the things. <laughs> yeah. So this is like carrying the is this carrying the bulk of the weight or is this just the muscular structure because I'm thinking about it like it's, it's holding it um it's a little bit of both so you've got a lot of ligaments and bony structures but also the muscles in there too are carrying a lot of the weight we talk a lot about with pregnancy how much um strain those muscles are under from carrying all of that extra weight throughout pregnancy so yeah it's a little bit of everything Okay, so when I talk to a pregnant friend and they're like, I feel like this baby's going to literally fall out of here. <laughs> Unlikely, right? You have your cervix and your mucus plug, and there's a lot of things between the open air and your baby in there. Sure, but that that sensation, I'm guessing. Right. You definitely feel all of the extra weight that's and the pressure, and all of those are real feelings. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I always assumed that that was like a <laughs> pelvic floor, which it sounds so odd. It, it's it's exactly as it sounds, but mm -hmm. I just wanted us to locate it. Can yeah. we start even earlier than this and just say, how did you get into this? Is this the study of the pelvic floor, or is this... <laughs> just one piece so, of something that you're an expert in like yeah so I got my doctorate in physical therapy so I'm a physical therapist first and then I specialize in pelvic floor therapy um, and I treat men and women mostly women but there's a few men in there too oh cool yeah and what what got you interested in working on that so I actually got pregnant in PT school um, it's stressful don't recommend doing that if you can avoid it <laughs> um, but I kind of took a deep dive into women's health and it was the only topic that I was learning about that really got me excited and I wanted to learn about on my free time. And I was like, yep, this lit that fire that I was looking for and this is what I want to do. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. All throughout school, I was like, I don't really want to work on like ACL repairs and rotator cuff things or things like that. So mm -hmm. I was like, pelvic floor, women's health, that's my jam. And how many other people in your program were also interested in pelvic floor? Ooh, so there's probably like 50 of us in my class, and I think three or four of us. Okay. 
liked it. So it's becoming more of a thing. It didn't really used to be um, even three or four people in a class. I would think it was probably zero to one. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and all of the people that were interested in it were women. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I was going to assume that like it's probably an underserved part of the body, right? An underserved oh, yeah. community is, is, mm-hmm. is exactly what I alluded to in the beginning. Like, I know this is something I should really know and focus on, but I, I just don't. So, um, do you feel like you, is there a reason why it's becoming more of an interest now than it was before? Is it like, is there some reason why the relevance has increased? I mean, that body part's always been there, right? So yeah, <laughs> I think it has to do with social media and Instagram and TikTok and all the things and pelvic PTs are getting on those platforms and, making an audience for themselves got it well yeah so let's talk about some of the symptoms associated with pelvic floor dysfunction or dysregulation because i think that's part of it too is like we're exiting this era of like every ailment is like oh it's fine you'll grow out of it to Mm -hmm. like no we can actually Mm. fix things like you don't have to pee when you sneeze because you had a baby like you can strengthen your pelvic floor so walk us through some symptoms that are commonly associated with yeah when I talk about this I talk a lot about that phrase common but not normal yeah so everybody like your grandma's like oh I just pee when I sneeze after having a baby and that's just kind of what you expect for the rest of your life but just because a lot of women do doesn't mean that we have to Mm. Um, a lot of the things that I see and treat would be pain with sex um Leaking, whether that's uh, urine or feces, Um, C-section recovery, preparing to have a baby, and then the recovery after having a baby, whether that was a vaginal delivery or a C-section, constipation, I see prolapse, and diastasis recti rehab, so I think that's most of the things. Mm -hmm. Define prolapse for those who don't know. Yeah, so prolapse, I like to describe it as basically one of the organs that sits in that pelvic floor um, shifts in position. So there's four grades to a prolapse, grades one through four. Grade zero would be um, somebody that's probably never had a kid, although you can get a prolapse and not have had children before. Um, Grade four would be that organs coming out of the body. Normally, most often, that is a bladder or a uterus. Yeah, it's intense. Um, but we're here to help. So usually, um, pelvic PT, we can make a really big difference in grades one through three of a prolapse. And then grade four, we're kind of looking at pelvic PT, but also maybe surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a big market, even in a, like a CPG realm, right? Because I'm, I'm in, the, I have a company that's in the market research industry and we have had massive spends coming from some CPG companies focused on adult incontinence. And this has been over the last like five or six years that we've been seeing a huge uptick of this money spend in this particular area. And our team is always like, man, why, why are we doing so much adult incontinence work? Yeah. And not that it's a problem and we're thankful for the work, but it's, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been very consistent over the last number of years. And it's, it's just so interesting for me now I'm plugging these two worlds together which I didn't think that I would. And <laughs> it's, um, I mean, there's massive, massive industry behind this from a products-based business as well. I just didn't, I never uh, considered that. I mean, at least from the incontinence side of it. I don't know about the, you know, the organs thing that we're talking about. Yeah. So with incontinence, sometimes surgery is required, but a lot of times we can fix it with pelvic PT. So 
leaking, whether that's stress urinary incontinence or urgency incontinence, which happens like, oh my gosh, I need to go to the bathroom or I'm going to go in my pants and you go in your pants. Mm. And then stress urinary incontinence is like the laughing, jumping, sneezing, coughing, raising your voice and you leak, whether that's just a few drops or you're losing your whole bladder. But a lot of incontinence is coordination of um, the breath in the pelvic floor. Sometimes it's caused from tension in your pelvic floor. So maybe your pelvic floor is overactive. Maybe you are clenching all day, but it doesn't always have to be um, like a loose pelvic floor. Mm. So sometimes it can be a tight or a hypertonic pelvic floor that's causing the leaking also. But I think with the adult incontinence is whether it's male or female, it kind of goes back to that common but not normal. A lot of older people ignored this their whole life because pelvic PT wasn't a thing. Nobody was talking about this. And so I see a lot of older women that had babies 30 years ago and they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't have to live with this. I don't have to wear a panty liner every day. Yeah, that's wild to me that mm-hmm. they are just now stumbling upon a real like life term I know it breaks my heart. I really wish that OBs um, would recommend pelvic floor therapy more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that they don't make that connection? I wish I knew. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of women postpartum and they usually say like, oh, I had to Google or OS on Instagram or TikTok about pelvic floor PT and it was never recommended to me. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. wild. Well, hopefully the episodes like this will, will change that. So you you listed a slew of symptoms. I'm interested how, like, how constipation plays a role in pelvic floor, floor. disorder because they feel disconnected. You know I what know. I mean? Yeah, it's weird to think 3D of your pelvic floor. So we think in like 2D pictures, um, but your pelvic floor really is 3D, and you have your rectal tube sitting along the back of your pelvic floor, mm-hmm. and in order to poop successfully your pelvic floor basically has to get out of the way and so if you have a hypertonic or a tight pelvic floor and it's pinching off that tube you can't successfully poop Mm. so a lot of people I have that have um, chronic constipation I usually see a tight pelvic floor or tension or tenderness with an exam Mm. do you ever do you know anything about um like children having really, really tight pelvic floors. I'm even thinking about the connection between the pelvic floor and like the mouth jaw kind of. Yeah, I talk about that all of the time with um, people, especially with the chronic pain and the chronic constipation is a lot of them have jaw tension or they're like, I clench my teeth at night, I'm grinding and I'm so then I treat their jaw also. Mm, Okay, yeah. yeah. So talk to us about how those two things are connected, because I think people think the body is totally more isolated than that so how is your jaw connected to your pelvic floor so developmentally when you're really really tiny um, in your mom's womb your jaw and your pelvic floor are basically right next to each other when you're developing but also with fascial connections it starts all the way from your tongue and goes to your toe Mm. goes through your pelvic floor too that's fascinating yeah Um, and then back to the peds there are um, physical therapists that treat pelvic floors and treat pediatrics okay it's very niche um it's hard to find them but they do exist and they work a lot with kids that have constipation problems or other things yeah we see um what's called like an airway specialist Mm -hmm. um talking a lot about just the oral structure of the mouth and even that practitioner was talking about how that can even be connected to muscular systems in the legs or in the like hips and like pelvic floor so it's it's always fascinating to 
be able to see in real life how these things are kind of of connected to each other. One of my gripes with the medical system is how we break our bodies apart into all of our different systems, right? Like you see a heart doctor, you see a brain doctor, you see a whatever doctor and not like, oh, how are all of these systems connected and playing together? So I think pelvic floor physical therapists honestly do a really good job of treating the whole person like a whole person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful because you guys are a specialized area, right? But you're also tapping into all these other systems. Right. Yeah. During my treatments, I'm always making sure I'm talking about like sleep and food and exercise and all of the things, not just treating your pelvic floor. If you are seeing a pelvic floor therapist and they are only treating your pelvic floor, I would find somebody else. Mm, That's good. That's good advice. Yeah. So for someone listening, if they heard you list off that slew of symptoms and they're like, oh, interesting, Mike, I'm intrigued. What does pelvic floor therapy look like? Like you can get granular because in my (laughs) head, I'm like, am I I like, am I expecting like an OBGYN experience where Mm -hmm. like, or is this like all out of, what does this look like? (laughs) So... Um, we do an internal exam as long as somebody consents to it, but there's no stirrups or anything. So you lay on a table that kind of looks like a massage table and I have you in a butterfly position. So with your feet together and your knees wide, if that's Mm -hmm. comfortable for you, otherwise we can play with other positions. Um, and then there's a glove on my hand, lube on my finger, and then I can do a digital internal exam. So with my finger, Mm -hmm. um, with women, I can do that vaginally or rectally. And then with men, it's rectal. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can, like, from that experience, you're, you're getting a gauge of where their pelvic floor is strength-wise, if it's too tight, if it's too loose. Yep. And mm-hmm. then you're just connecting the dots of, like, okay, these are their symptoms. This is what we can do. Yeah. So the appointment usually starts with a subjective history. So kind of like when you go to a doctor and they ask you a lot of questions and you answer all of those questions. So it starts with a conversation. And then I usually do an external exam first. So looking at things like posture, breathing, strength, balance, all of those things, and then go to the internal exam as long as they consent. And then all of those things put together should give me an idea of what's happening and what's causing your symptoms. But I usually tell people like first appointment, I am not going to be normally like this is exactly what's the problem and it's going to take me three exact sessions and we're going to solve it Um, because your body is in a math equation, right? So Mm -hmm. I usually develop an idea of what's going on and then from that start eating away at it mm-hmm. and what yeah. are the things that you can notice from your external exam are, are there have you gotten to a point where you like notice someone's posture and you're like oh their pelvic floor is this way or whatever <laughs> yeah if you um see like mom butt usually a lot of moms mm-hmm. will like clench their butt or we call it like sway back posture where you're pushing your pelvis forward and the top of your spine is kind of rounded things like that or um A rib flare is really common after pregnancy where you're kind of sticking your belly out. Mm. Um, All of those things have an effect on your pelvic floor because they also think of yourself like a pressure canister. And anytime your posture changes, your breathing changes, you're lifting something, you're creating pressure in that canister and that pressure has to go somewhere. And usually it goes to that weakest part of your body, which for a lot of women, especially postpartum, is their pelvic floor, which can cause the leaking, the prolapse symptoms, all of those things, but also if you have a significant diastasis, which is a separation of those six-pack muscles, then it could go there too and cause that bulging. So, okay, I, I'm I'm trying to process this. So yeah, sorry, that was a lot of. Uh, <laughs> no, that was great. I, I'm trying to think when you are pregnant, 
are there things you can do? Like I remember just hearing like kegels, 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 do those. But like, are there things you can do to strengthen ahead of time so you get ahead of the game so that you can like, I'm sure. Recover better. Yeah, recover yes. better. Like why yeah. do we have to wait till we pee ourselves as women to be like, maybe right. I should go to the doctor, you know? What can one of we our, do? Yeah. yeah, one of our favorite sayings in physical therapy is prehab is better than rehab. So doing <laughs> the things before <laughs> The problem is better than after the problem. That's amazing. Um, but actually, with most pregnant women, I'm working on how to relax your pelvic floor because your pelvic floor is not pushing your baby out. Your uterus is pushing your baby out, and your pelvic floor has to get out of the way. Mm. Um, and a lot of women are disconnected from their pelvic floor. They have no idea how to relax it. They have no idea how to do a reverse Kegel or an anti-Kegel, as we call them, which is the exact opposite of a Kegel. Um Going back to the Kegels, how you were saying for strengthening, I, one in a million, would give somebody Kegels to strengthen their pelvic floor. They are not super functional, and we can actually get a better pelvic floor contraction through other functional movements like squats and lunges and single limb exercises. So that's what I usually focus on. If somebody cannot do like a volitional Kegel where I'm like, hey, do a Kegel on command, we might work on it a little bit. But it's not um, something I'm like, you need to have a five out of five Kegel by the end of our therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. Dare I ask what a Kegel is? <laughs> do I, I, I you just, can do them too, Joey. Okay, I just don't know. It sounds yeah. like I might not want to know, but I'm curious kind of <laughs> to know. So a Kegel is basically a pelvic floor contraction. So the way I cue women is different than I cue men because our anatomy is a little bit different. So with the women, you can think about what you would do if you were going to stop the flow of urine or if you were going to pick up a tissue out of a tissue box with your vagina, if you were going to slurp a smoothie through your vagina. Lots of fun cues because different cues work for different people. Um, and then with men, I usually think about um, telling them to lift their penis towards their head or turtling their penis. So how would you make your penis shorter? This is good. This He's is happy good he asked the question. <laughs> Clip it. Clip it and uh, post that's it That's the now. Instagram that, reel there right go. there. Yeah. Right. No, that's hilarious. No, that's good to know because yeah. men don't get enough, you know, attention in the pelvic floor space. No. no. I, I'm interested yeah. Clearly, to hear. nobody was giving me any key <laughs> Well, um, usually with like strengthening, I'm working a lot on deep core contraction and connecting you to your deep core. Um, that muscle we're focusing on is called transverse abdominis and it's like a corset. So it wraps all the way from your spine to the front of your body and connects to your pubic bone. It's not your six pack muscle. So when you do contract it, it's a subtle contraction. And then I have lots of different cues that I use for people to feel if they're doing that correctly too. Um, I usually check first if I am doing an internal exam and then subsequently through different treatments, but your pelvic floor and your deep core should work together. So if you're engaging your deep core correctly, your pelvic floor should basically be doing a Kegel without you thinking about it. Mm. So if I'm doing an internal exam and I'm teaching somebody how to contract their deep core, I can feel that squeeze and lift around my finger. Um, so yeah, usually when I'm working on strengthening, it's for that deep core. Mm. I can't remember what we were talking about before you asked about a Kegel. Well, she mentioned that there may even be a more successful training being with, with single limb movements, which is interesting to me. Oh yeah, that's right. You were talking about squatting. So I think about that often because squatting is something obviously you can do. It's like a great exercise to do in pregnancy, especially late pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think about that even now, like when I'm squatting, 
sometimes I don't know, like, am I squatting in a way that is hurting my pelvic floor health or is this strengthening it? I guess maybe I would feel symptoms if something was off, but how does the functionality of a squat, um, like what is that exactly doing to the pelvic yeah. floor? It depends on the squat and the intention behind the squat. So are we doing squats to strengthen your pelvic floor or are we doing like a deep squat, like a yogi squat to mm-hmm. lengthen your pelvic floor? Um, But usually when you see a pelvic PT, they talk about lifting mechanics, how to brace that deep core correctly, and then how to breathe through your movement. So a lot of people, when I tell them to engage their deep core or brace, they're pushing their bellies out and holding their breath to create stabilization, especially if they have not worked on these muscles before, and then going through the movement. So we kind of have to retrain that movement and breathing pattern. But when you're working on a squat, again, like you have to go back to the intention. Are we doing something to lengthen your pelvic floor? Are you doing a strengthening exercise? But any exercise can be a pelvic floor exercise as long as you're engaging your deep core correctly. So usually when I teach somebody to do a squat, I have them engage their core. And then whether you are inhaling first and then exhaling through the movement or you inhale down and exhale up, I don't care. Whatever feels good for you as long as you're not holding your breath. Because you have to think of that pressure canister again. If you're holding your breath, you're creating a lot of pressure. And then you're lifting weight, which is increasing that pressure even more, which isn't good for your pelvic floor. So when do you ever see people working out like in the gym and they're like doing a heavy squat and they're taking a deep breath in, holding it, squatting and coming back down? Oh, yeah. Crossfitters are notorious for this. All of the crossfitters I see push to brace and hold their breath yes well that's how they're trained because that's how we've been taught like that's how Mm -hmm. we that's what we've been told too so what is your take on that obviously that's probably going to go against everything you just said (laughs) (laughs) yeah um there so holding your breath is called a valsalva maneuver and sometimes that can be beneficial if we're talking about like olympic weightlifting but everyday person that is working on strength training and trying to improve their pelvic floor function doesn't need to be doing a Valsalva. Um, so yeah. Is there a more, is there a more functional way you would approach a squat? Maybe let's say with the, with a barbell, um, that like just walk us through that would look, what that would look like. Um, so Deep core contraction with any movement. So I want people to think about it if they're doing a squat, if they're doing a lunge, if they're doing bicep curls, if you're doing tricep overhead extension, anything, Mm. right? Mm. Um, Because any exercise can be a deep core exercise if you're contracting correctly. So to engage your transverse abdominis, there's a few different ways I cue it. I like to use verbal cues and tactile cues, which is feeling. So if you bring your fingers to the insides of your hip bones in the front, you can feel the contraction. So it should pull away from your fingers. It shouldn't push into them. Mm. Um, You can think about sucking in through a straw or um, zipping up like a tight pair of jeans. You can think about that corset. Sometimes I will tell people energetically, think about pulling your two hip points together. Um, And then I find a cue that works for somebody and then I stick to it. Mm -hmm. So I'll write it in my notes and then keep giving that cue, them that cue. And at first it's really hard to make that connection between your brain and your deep core. And you're like, this feels like a lot of effort and it doesn't look like a lot of effort. Then once somebody has that contraction down, I want them to be able to hold it and breathe. So you should be able to maintain a deep core contraction while breathing. 
Um, and then after that, I put it under load because our everyday lives were lifting stuff, right? Groceries, kids, car seats, strollers, all of the things. So if I'm training you to do all these things and then I'm not putting you on lo- under load, that's not really functional. Okay, I'm having a light bulb moment because I, in my workouts recently, I've been doing abs almost every other day. And I had a C-section, but I've mm-hmm. had two vaginal births as well. Um, and I've been doing basically like trying to engage the deep core, right? And I actually like put my hands on my abs when I'm working. I did a lot of like exercises I did it when I was a dancer. Mm-hmm. And so like you'd have to really have a deep core to be able to go on point and all these other things. Yeah, And so... Um, I would just basically be clenching my abs and trying to breathe through it on the floor is what I've been doing to try to simulate that ab workout. And then I'll go into like a crunch set or something else utilizing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like sometimes the struggle is just trying to awaken that muscle group, which is exactly like what you're saying. So I feel like I've been kind of like ahead of the curve. (laughs) It's like, yeah, sometimes I'll tell people to um, take their shirt off and look in the mirror. And if you're doing it correctly, your belly button should almost pull up and away um if you notice like your six-pack turning on Mm -hmm. or you're pushing out you're not doing it right okay good to know yeah let's let's get to some practical prehab i was really interested in that (laughs) so so because there's probably and most likely a lot of moms that are either moms to be or are considering it that, that 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 may hear this and so what what would be the prehab kind of like ideal you know, write up that you would give somebody to prepare for having a baby. And, and I think we're focusing in on, on childbirth a little bit, but I would be somewhat interested to know kind of like what other, cause it sounds like there's, there's some, you know, semi trauma that happens to a woman's pelvic floor through yeah. childbirth. Therefore we're trying to prepare for that, that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what, what would that plan, if you will, look like? So it depends on, so my first appointment is called an evaluation and that's where I kind of do like that internal, external, subjective, everything. And what I gather from that is kind of going to dictate what our subsequent treatments look like and it's not going to be the same for every person. So I'm not really a big fan of like the six week postpartum classes or six week um, prepartum classes because every person's different and how do you know what your individual body is going through if you don't have a person examining your individual body but usually what it looks like is um working on diaphragmatic breathing connecting to our pelvic floor doing those reverse kegels or anti-kegels when i say that what i mean is it's basically a way to lengthen or relax your pelvic floor so the way that i cue somebody to do a reverse kegel or an anti-kegel is you're going to take a deep breath and on your inhales, your pelvic floor should naturally move down because your diaphragm is moving down, right? They should move together. Um, On the top of your inhale or with your inhale, you're almost going to push a little bit like you're trying to sneak out a fart. And then on your exhale, let it go, come back to neutral. So that should be how you do a reverse Kegel. When I check when I'm doing internal, it should almost open around my finger and push me out a little bit. Um, so that looks like, um, that's part of the prehab, especially for pregnancy. Cause I want to just build that connection between brain and pelvic floor. How do I relax my pelvic floor? How do I get it out of the way? So a baby can come out of here, um, how to push effectively. So whether that's, um, the purple pushing or whether we can push more effectively, um, different birthing positions. So how do we open different parts of the pelvis? When you think about a pelvis, you have the top part closer to belly button. 
which is the inlet, and then you have the outlet, which is the part on the bottom. And doing different movements with your hips, your knees, we can open different parts of those depending on the stage and labor you're in. So we talk about that. Um, What else do we talk about? That's a lot of it. (laughs) That is a lot. I remember um, the, like, tone of which you might express your experience in labor right if you're like yelling or groaning they always say keep it really low mm-hmm. because you want to open the and it, and i i've seen some things and maybe you can say this is true or this is not true but like i've seen the comparison of like your vocal cords when you're in a low octave and they're really wide and spread out and then pelvic floor when it's like nice and wide mm-hmm. to let baby through is that do you see that like actually Connect. reflected yeah, I actually will s- tell some people to hum um, mm-hmm. if they are like constipated and trying to poop because that can help your pelvic floor relax oh. or yeah, or with birth or um, if somebody has pain with sex and we're working on that, that can be a tool. But yeah, definitely all the lone tones, the humming, the relaxed jaw can all help. Hmm. That, that's interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, anyways, so the, the, there's, it's all, I always get like jarred by a question. I'm like, I have no idea what, what you're talking about in a, in a great way. But so, so we're, so we're on the prehab, right? So people are getting ready for, um, giving birth and mm-hmm. then they, so, so they've had their baby, right? And is there a stage like within that, like pregnancy that they can be doing? The prehab is during pregnancy, maybe before pregnancy, then after pregnancy, I don't know, at this point, we could potentially call it recovery or rehab. Yeah. Um, what is that tep- typically looking like? So it depends on how they had their baby, whether it was a C-section or a vaginal birth, and then how those went, right? How was your recovery? How long were you bleeding for? Usually I see somebody six weeks postpartum um, just so we can allow your tissues to heal if you had any tearing before I do an internal exam. Um, but postpartum, if you had a C-section, we would work on like C-section scar desensitization. So a lot of C-section scars are numb or they have abnormal sensation. So something that should feel like a light feather can feel like burning, sharp, stabby, mm-hmm. and it can go like an inch or two above the scar and below. And we don't want that, right? So we work on the sensation of the scar, but then also the mobility of the scar. So I describe scars like icebergs so you see what's on top but they had to cut through five layers right and so there's always scar tissue underneath I know (laughs) Um, and so you can feel that scar on top but if you come a little bit lower you can feel the scar tissue underneath too so we work on mobilization of that if they had a c-section and then with vaginal tears we also work on um, scar mobilization too with internal work and then I teach you how to do that yourself um we will address any kind of pain and tightness that you have from the delivery head to toe, right? Again, like I'm a PT first and then I specialize in pelvic floor, so I don't just ignore the rest of your body. Um, Reconnecting to your core. When you have a full-term pregnancy, your core is basically non-existent. And so how can we get your brain to turn back on to your core and introduce returning to exercise and how do you lift properly and how do you breathe properly and all of those things um address any urinary leakage you have any urgency you're having um yeah bowel and bladder health Hmm. um when you have a c-section how does 
the cutting of all of those layers of muscle in your abdomen, does that have a direct effect on your pelvic floor? Because you're not cutting through the pelvic floor, right? You're cutting above it. You How do cut into look? your uterus, though, which sits in your pelvic floor. And that scar tissue can create a lot of adhesions. Mm. So I think because scars usually look like clean cut, we think um, that it wasn't like this major abdominal surgery when it was. Yeah. So there can be a lot of tension around the scar, in the scar, and then any adhesions that it adhered to, right? So like, did it adhere to your bladder and now you have bladder pain? Um, things like that. So, and do you ever have people come back to you that have had multiple C-sections? Mm-hmm. That, because I feel like with each reoccurring C-section would be a new, I know they try to use the same scar, but I feel like that would be layering on yeah. risk for adhesion, right? Yeah. Um, they sometimes will cut scar tissue out if somebody has like a really gnarly C-section scar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it can further the scar adhesions and where it's growing into mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. usually we do like um massage with just our hands and i teach you how to do it but then also we do like cupping if you've seen those mm-hmm. little like the little circle bruises that people get we'll use those on c-section scars um i also do dry needling so i use acupuncture needles and i can needle into your scar too interesting yeah i'm yeah. like kind of queasy thinking about about it it. i know (laughs) because like i've been there and i've experienced it but also like i think the technologies that you utilize are probably really cool for people who who struggle with that so that's does your scar feel normal it it does i would say um the numbness factor i think i Mm -hmm. think it's kind of numb but yeah so it's not too late to work on it um you can touch different textures and temperatures to it and that can sometimes bring back that normal sensation Hmm. so i'll have people touch different fabrics so a towel, um, a dish rag, a spoon, a fork, any texture you can find, and then different temperatures too. I'm like, find something new every day and touch you're, it to your You're scar. getting people in their bathrooms with like, they're rolling <laughs> in with like towels and ice cubes and forks. Right. And, and their, their spouse is like, babe, what are you doing in there? And she's when like... When the sensation starts coming back too, it can feel kind of weird. And so people are like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, stick with it. It'll get better. But yeah, you can do like a cold spoon, a warm spoon, an ice cube, a warm washcloth, um, and it'll get better. Okay. That's interesting. That's good to know. Yeah. You probably have some, some spousal questions like what's going on in there? Oh, and I, sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) Um, when I tell people to do self-release too vaginally, um, some spouses too are like, what are you doing? Right, right. It's it's got to be a, a there needs to be some context given yeah. there. I'm like yeah. this is this is for my medical my medical <laughs> needs. Um, what is something as a PT that you feel like is the most misunderstood thing about pelvic floor health in general? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> Give us a couple because I think. I think people listening probably have these misconceptions. So yeah. give us a, give us a So break. I think the leaking is a big one that after you have babies that it's normal to leak, um, that everybody needs to do Kegels. Most people do not need to do Kegels. Um, not only are they not functionally strengthening your pelvic floor, like we talked about earlier, but I see a lot of people that have tight and tender pelvic floors and need the opposite of a Kegel. Um, I wish that again, OBs were 
more forthcoming about the different options or urologist if somebody's coming in to inquire about like a bladder sling if they have a prolapse. Um, but I also wish people knew more just that pelvic PTs were out there and that they don't have to suffer in silence, right? Um, a lot of self-degrading and things happen when somebody's experiencing leaking, whether that's urine or feces or if they have prolapse. Um, I actually have a grade two bladder pro prolapse. Most women do after giving um, childbirth. Um, it's like 50 to 90% of women have some degree of prolapse after, but you feel really alone if you start noticing that like vaginal pressure or heaviness or bulging and you're like, oh my gosh, am I broken? Is this how I am forever? Um, so I wish women talked more about it and that it wasn't this um, taboo thing to talk about or get help for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Do you ever see or do you ever work alongside other practitioners, say like chiropractors or other kind of people in that world that are also trying to connect the body in different unique ways? Yeah, I um, am always referring to chiropractors or nutritionists or like a functional hormone person because I know what I know, but I know that I don't know everything. And mm -hmm. so if I have a patient and she's having all kinds of GI problems or different things. And I'm like, okay, this is what I know about this, but I want you to also go see this person. I think that's really powerful. And I think that doesn't happen enough. Where yeah. You have a practitioner who's like, listen, I know what I know, but I also know that I don't know all the answers, <laughs> you know? And then, right. and then they can point you in a, in a direction of someone who can add on to your care, be a part of your wellness team. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious as a PT, are there things you're doing daily, like exercises, walkthroughs, stretches that you're doing daily? Or is this more of like an acute care thing that you worry about, like with each childbearing experience? How are you approaching yeah. um, pelvic floor health for your own personal self? So anytime I'm exercises, I'm th exercising, I'm thinking about it, right? So am I engaging my deep core correctly? And I'm Am I breathing correctly? Those things. Um, I don't have a tensor type pelvic floor. And so I'm not super worried about doing a lot of like relaxation exercises after. But when I treat somebody, my goal is by discharge that they feel like they have all of the tools to treat themselves if they were to have a flare up down the road. So, hey, we're feeling good now. And I hope that you have this toolbox where in six months from now, from now, if you're going to Disneyland and you're going to walk 10 miles, mm. that you know how to manage your symptoms. Um, daily, I mean, I use a squatty potty. I'm a fan really? of squatty potties. Okay, wait, <laughs> talk, talk to us about the squatty potty dynamics for those yeah. that don't know. So it's basically a stool that brings your knees higher than your hips, um, which can help you relax your pelvic floor to allow you to poop easier. Um, whether you lean forward on your knees or you lean back against the toilet seat, I don't care. Whatever feels better for you. And then I tell people to have a Zen poop. So I want you to imagine you're blowing out birthday candles. You can exhale or hum, but try not to push and strain because as you push and strain, you're actually turning on all of those pelvic floor muscles and you're going to pinch off the tube. Um, if you don't want to get like an actual squatty potty, I tell people to turn their trash can on their side and put their feet up on it or use like a new roll of toilet paper or paper towels and put their feet up on that instead or like a toddler stool hey that is scrappy yeah you know people are busting out the like <laughs> spare and they're setting it on the, the pink thing. plastic right. stool everybody's got the it. pink plastic stool that <laughs> your kids used to it. brush your teeth everyone's got it 
And um, some people don't believe me. And so I'm like, I know you might not want to go buy this thing right now, but try something else that you have in your house already. And then you're going to want one. This was like the Shark Tank mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. product, I think. Right? Yeah, my brother was very enthusiastic about <laughs> his purchase. I think he got it for his 30th birthday. Yeah, I think everybody should use one. Uh, does leaning... Okay, so your your knee has to be... It's not just about like being in the squat position. Because sometimes I've thought like, well, if I kick my legs, my feet back, and I just lean forward, then I'm basically squatting, but I'm like <laughs> on my side. That doesn't count. Yeah, so you can have your knees elevated above your hips and then externally rotate, which means your knees are wider than okay. your hips. Um, like which you're giving is, birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then either lean forward or lean back, see what feels comfortable, and then have your zen poop. Have your zen poop. That's that's. Cool. Yeah, you're, so we talk about the Bristol stool chart, which basically um, grades poops based off of what they look like. Mm-hmm. And we aim for a grade three or four, which I describe as like a smooth banana or a sausage. Mm-hmm. And it should be happening at least daily mm-hmm. with no pushing and straining. And you should feel empty afterwards. So somebody may be like, hey, I'm going every day and it looks like smooth banana, but I do not feel empty after. Mm. What um, do you do for that? So usually not feeling empty after, whether that is after pooping or peeing, can be a sign of a tight pelvic floor and not being able to relax. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, trying not to pro- I'm trying not to visualize it, but I also know the chart you're talking about because it's like scale one is like kind of uh-huh. rabbit and then it moves into... And then it goes to diarrhea, basically. Right. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm thinking that like... Should have done a disclaimer. There's no TMI. I, I, you must have the most outstanding <laughs> conversations. It's, um, it's oh, I love it. I, I, my brain keeps going back to kids because, like, I feel like I'm always looking at my kids. Like, and I ask my kids, I'm like, oh, "Did you poop today? Are you pooping every day? Make sure you go on potty." Mm-hmm. And like, they love it, by the way. They and like their their <laughs> nana is like a holistic practitioner, so like she she always talks about the sausage and like yeah. they know that stuff. But I'm also like are you doing this? And like, if you are constipated, how can I help you? And, Mm -hmm. and then I think about like, well, are you carrying a lot of tension? And I have like a toe, I have a toe walker. So she walks on her toes and there's lots of reasons. She probably does. Yes. There's lots of reasons for that. And I'm like, is this part of it? Is this leading to like a tighter, is she just so overactive in her pelvic floor? And so I'm just trying to, that's why I'm like processing. I always don't think about my own body, but I'm like, what are my kids? Like (laughs) what's going on with my kids? And you can even teach your kids like the diaphragmatic, um, breathing. I have, you can make it a game too. So I've seen people tie, um, you know, the like paper streamers that you hang for parties. Mm-hmm. I've seen people tie those around ba- kids' bellies so that they understand like what it is to take a big inhale. Um, so you could do things like that. You can teach her about diaphragmatic breathing. You could have her do like abdominal massage and different things for her public floor. You could talk about the humming. So the phrase you just used, diaphragmatic breathing. That's yes. where, is that where I'm sticking my belly out in a deep breath and bringing it back in? That's what a lot of people think of when they think of diaphragmatic breathing, but you have to, again, think 3D. Diaphragm is like a dome, and it connects all the way from the front of your body to the back of your body. Okay. So when you're breathing with your diaphragm correctly, you should be expanding 360 degrees. So your belly Mm -hmm. should move out, your ribs should come to the side, and your back body should expand. Okay. Sometimes I will have people hold like a belt around their ribs or a resistance band or just have their hands on the sides. And then as they take a big inhale, you should feel the resistance into the band and it should expand all the way around. 
Mm. Um, when you take that big inhale, also your pelvic floor should move lower to the ground. And so that's how. That. Okay, yeah, because I'm like trying to breathe, but also like not really like <laughs> on air while we're in the thing. Right. <laughs> this is really really odd, and you might be like, Liz, this is irrelevant. But sometimes I feel like if I wear a tighter jean that's high waisted that hits me right at my diaphragm, that affects all the things. Yeah. Yep. That. So I talk to women about not wearing like high waisted tight leggings, um, tight jeans basically like waist trainers all of those things because not only is it not allowing you to breathe correctly but it's creating a lot of downward pressure on your pelvic floor again think of yourself as the pressure canister if you have a tight pair of pants on it's pinching that canister creating all that downward pressure and you're going to feel those prolapse symptoms or the leaking is going to be worse or so on and so on I've even, yeah, I feel like I've even like gone to sleep with like a really kind of tight, high-waisted, like um, sweat short situation and woken up and being like, my stomach hurts. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like my digestion is off the rest of the day. I'm like, did I just pinch my body in half? You know Pretty what I much. mean? <laughs> and then, and now I'm like currently sitting in high-waisted leggings. So this is, this is good that I'm learning all these things that I'm doing. Yeah. And high-waisted is okay as long as they are really stretchy. Yeah. Really loose. And yes. you know, everyone knows the pair of legs when they're like right I'm gonna wear these today because I need the extra they stretch. pull everything in yeah they um yeah. that's really common postpartum too is like the abdominal support bands basically which they kind of look like a waist trainer but they're different and those are fine to add that like extra support you need those first couple weeks postpartum Mm -hmm. but then we want to get your core to kind of start turning back on and bringing your brain and your core connection back online and not relying on an external thing to provide that support for you Mm. so what's the average length of time someone is working with you hardcore week after week yeah going um pelvic pt is definitely different than ortho pt like if you were to tear your acl or something um usually i see people weekly for the first little bit and then after we start noticing symptoms are getting better and we're making good progress then we can start spacing appointments out so then maybe i see you once every other week maybe once every three weeks and maybe once a month um usually i see somebody for probably like four months on average Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Um, At the evaluation, when I'm getting all of the things that I'm getting, I will usually tell people their estimated plan of care. So, hey, like maybe you only need three or four sessions or no, maybe we're looking at like 12 or 14. Mm. That's really cool because then you have a start and a stop. I know that that's always a a concern for practitioners, especially if they fall like outside of traditional insurance. I don't even know Mm -hmm. if insurance covers pelvic floor PT. Um, So there are insurance-based practices, there are cash pay practices, and then there's models that blend the two. Mm -hmm. The tricky thing with pelvic PT is insurances don't reimburse you for all of the pelvic codes. So most insurances, if I write a code like, hey, somebody's having painful sex, they won't reimburse for that. So you kind of have to work around the codes if you want to get reimbursed and say like maybe they have lack of coordination which is causing their leaking or Mm. things like that um they also can stop your care prematurely so if insurance is like every week this patient is not getting better i'm not noticing progress they will cut them off and be like you're not going to pt anymore wow yeah it's silly, especially since they're not the PT, right? Yeah, that feels really invasive that they would, yeah, tell you yeah. which, which so, symptoms are okay. 
most pelvic PTs are cash pay because we can do what we decide is necessary for that patient in front of us. If I decide that I want to do manual therapy for that full hour, I can do it and not worried about if I'm going to get paid or not. If I want to work on just talking to you all hour and doing education on the diet and exercise and bowel and bladder habits, I can do that. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And when you're talking about diet and exercise, what are the kinds of things you're guiding your, your patients on? Kind of a lot of things that you guys um, talk about. So I talk a lot about like how can we live with a less toxic lifestyle? How mm-hmm. can we um, eat more whole real foods is a big thing and then get enough protein. I see women all the time chronically eating protein. I ask them how much they're eating and they're like, I don't know. I have one egg a day and a piece of chicken. <laughs> and oh, I'm no. like, all right. So I usually tell women if they are eating like 40 to 60 grams of protein a day to at least aim for 100, mm-hmm. but ideally their body weight in grams, right? Mm-hmm. But if somebody's going from like 40 grams and I'm telling them to eat 160, it's just super overwhelming. So we make baby steps. Yeah, that's funny. That was just echoed in, um, I think, last week's episode where we talked to a fitness trainer who is, we talked about the same thing as women are chronically, I think, and men, chronically under eating their protein. And even the RDA is like 48 Mm -hmm. to 50 grams of protein, which is like not even enough to uh, avoid disease at that point. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then I have women that are like, I'm eating that and I'm not losing any weight. And I'm like, well, you're kind of starving yourself. Right. So we have that conversation too. Sometimes I'll have somebody use like my fitness pal or some tracker just for a couple days so that they can get a baseline. But I don't want somebody to use it long term if they're going to become obsessive over the things that they eat. But I'm like, hey, let's get a baseline and see where you're at and how can we up the nutrients. Yeah, I love that. I actually saw on your Instagram, you did a really great like what I eat in a day. And everything you ate, I was like, oh, she's getting her protein in. Like, she's eating all this, like, amazing, uh, like, organic animal product. Like, yeah. I was like, girl, I'll come over for dinner any day. I'll come eat a day in the life any day. I love you. to cook. That's awesome. Don't love doing the dishes, but. Same. It's, it's, a, it's an unfortunate byproduct. Yeah. That's cool. I'm curious, um, anything else that you feel like we should cover as like, I, I feel like this episode's going to be like pelvic floor 101 because it's pretty very much. much how we just uh, divulge. I guess the only topic we talked about how it affects like posture and um, constipation. You mentioned painful sex a few times. How does that interplay with the pelvic floor specifically and like mm-hmm. therapy? How can that aid in someone? Yeah. Progression. So we want to figure out why somebody's having painful sex. And sometimes it comes from a history of sexual trauma or abuse. And then you have to think about their brain too. Um, and then the pain isn't necessarily maybe their muscles are super tight, but maybe their brain is setting off the fire alarms anytime something enters their vagina. Mm-hmm. So we talk about that. Um, but maybe somebody does have a really tight pelvic floor. And so we talk about ways to do self-release or dilator training. Um, and then at the appointment, I usually work on internal also for manual therapy. So it's basically stretching of the pelvic floor. And mm-hmm. then how can we do exercises to encourage relaxation and lengthening? Um, and then hopefully have painless sex. Mm. That's, that's encouraging because that's another thing that it, you would be a silent sufferer of. Right. 
you don't walk into a dinner party and like, guess what, everybody? Here's I can't my latest have sex with my husband. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Here's my latest symptom. Mm. And it's so really sad because it, I see women all the time that have this happen and they are just bawling their eyes out yeah. after they're like, I was in my bathroom crying for three hours because I can't do this and I really want to. So you're not alone. Go yeah. see a pelvic PT. It can get better. I love that. I love that about your work is like you're a little, um, you provide so much hope for symptoms that are the, the, the that can make suffers. you feel alone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That can make you feel alone. Yeah. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Anything else you want to cover on the pelvic floor 101? You know, <laughs> I feel like we've learned a lot. <laughs> I, I'd be curious, Emily, if there's anything that, that you felt like we've left off the table. Um, I feel um, like, wow. I've definitely learned a lot. Holy smokes. There's a couple things that I wrote down that I don't think we talked about yet. Oh, so I wrote down um, common vaginal changes that can happen after giving birth. So there's a few of them. Decreased sex drive and clitoral sensitivity. So some women are like, I do not want to have sex and I cannot orgasm. And that can be really common after giving birth. So if that's happening to you, know that it's common and it should get better if you are progressing normally and if it's not go see a pelvic pt mm. next one is vaginal dryness especially if you're breastfeeding so don't be afraid of the lube um everybody that's postpartum i tell them use all the lube you want it is not something that you should feel bad about for using because some women feel bad about using lube too mm. um vaginal gaping so your vaginal opening can look more open um and that can be normal after giving vaginal birth because your pelvic floor has to stretch one and a half to three times its length in order for your baby to come out. And so sometimes those muscles just need more time to come back together and heal. And then urinary incontinence can be common after giving vaginal birth too. Mm. So in any of those instances, you're saying if you're experiencing these things, PT is the way to go. If it's not getting better after like a month or two, then yes. Mm. But if you're like two weeks postpartum and you are having these things it should resolve itself. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I, this yeah. is like a checklist for people. And I think the people who need to hear it are going to be like, oh, I know exactly <laughs> where I need to go. You know what right? I mean? So um, I assume you do all in-person work. You probably can't be a physical therapist digitally, but you are in Arizona. So how can people find you if they are looking to work with you specifically? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Emily Duncan. And DM me, text me all the the questions that you have. I love to answer them. I am only treating people in person. I've considered doing virtual appointments, but I don't know how I feel about it quite yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If you are in Phoenix and you're looking for a pelvic PT, I'm your girl. That's cool. And do you have a website they can go to? I have not made a website yet. Okay, so Instagram is your best way to go on to get involved. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Hey, I mean, it's basically a website. It's just on a different platform. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Any other questions? Joey's just sitting here. Processing. He's the most (laughs) quiet he's ever been on a show because he's like. If I had a lot to add, I promise. (laughs) I would have. (laughs) And it's it's not, uh, you know, I am very happy. I'm learning and uh, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. You're supportive. uh, (laughs) You're supportive podcast host. Oh, I did write. I just looked at my notes. I wrote one more thing to talk about. Oh, what is it? Um. Bowel and bladder health again, and it talks about peeing. So 
normal habits would be going pee at least once every three-ish hours. Usually the rain we, range I give is every two to four hours and your stream should last for a steady eight to 10 seconds at least. So if you are somebody that is going pee every hour, if you sit down and it is trickle, if you don't feel empty after, go see a pelvic PT. Let me pose a scenario for you. Oh my gosh. Are you going to try to out <laughs> me right now? Are you, nope. Do you just in case pee? Just a scenario. <laughs> I can't. I don't, I don't know where the scenario is coming from. <laughs> this scenario. And let's let's say you're going on a car ride, Ugh. and for some reason, an hour into the car ride, everyone has to pee. <laughs> um, do you stop for all those people, or do you tell them like, "Hey, you should try to hold it longer"? It depends when they last peed. <laughs> so if they went pee an hour ago, then. I tell them to hold it. It's mental, right? Just tell me yes. it's mental. It is. So some women literally just need me to tell them like, hey, I want you to hold it longer. It's okay to hold your pee and you're not going to get a UTI. And then they do it and they're like, I'm not going to pee every hour anymore. And I'm like, awesome. Um, we call it urge suppression technique. So if you get that urge 30 minutes, an hour after that. you go pee, <laughs> you can take three big belly breaths. Um, you can do like five calf raises and then I tell you to go distract yourself. So go wipe down the counter, go take out your trash, go check your mail and then reassess and be like, is that urge gone? And most of the time it will be, or is that urge still there? And if it is, you can calmly, slowly go to the bathroom. If you start rushing and you're running and you're pulling your pants off and like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you're setting off the fire alarms and that urge is just going to get worse. But when you reward the system and you go pee every hour, you're brain is going to give you false urges that your bladder is full when it isn't yeah i just feel like sometimes you know i've heard people <laughs> go on car rides i held it for three hours after that and i didn't <laughs> complain and i found that if i switched positions the urge would go away or maybe turn on the seat heater and distract myself <laughs> but eventually it got to a point where i was like listen i am not going to dehydrate myself for the sake of our travel time we traveled eight hours and i said just give me one stop just one stop in eight hours. And That's none of reasonable. Our, thank you. I would say two is even reasonable. So yeah, we're we're really kind of... Joey's hardcore. Okay? <laughs> he wouldn't stop at all. I, I stopped. That's also not great for pelvic floor, going yeah. eight hours without peeing. But we didn't. Yeah, Joe. Do that. <laughs> we just, you know, we started the car ride. We're like not even out, off onto the highway. And the, we have this is what happened. And you can tell me maybe this is a symptom <laughs> of something. What happened was we, I had just peed. The just in case, babe. I still think that's funny. I had just peed. And then we had to stop because I had put uh, one of our kids' blankets in the bed of the truck. And so he, Joey had to pull off to the side. So the moment I kid you not. The moment my foot hit the pavement when I got out of the car, I was like, oh, I have to pee. And then I walked around to the bed of the truck, got the blankets, put them back. And I was like, dang it, we're only like 30 minutes out. And I held it. But that was probably a false <laughs> yeah, urge. Mm -hmm. It's the so if you think about like when you go to sleep, usually I brush my teeth. And then immediately when I'm brushing my teeth, I get the urge to go mm -hmm. pee. It's and usually when you're. Yeah. Usually when you're younger, your parents are like, okay, brush your teeth, go pee, go to bed. And so then you have that routine in your head. And even if you don't really have to pee, your brain is going to make you think you do. What about people who wake up in the night and have to pee? Zero to one times is normal if you are not pregnant and under 65. Oh, okay. So it's normal for if you're, if you're 65 or older to wake up every night or if you're under to wake up one time a night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh? Okay. Well, that's that makes me feel better. Yeah. Not that I'm waking up a bunch, but 
Yeah, one time's okay. Well, you know what? That was like a little back of the episode bonus <laughs> content there because yeah. I feel like I really gleaned something. Now I have more confidence in my car rides. I'm yeah. going to think of Emily. I'm going to say, that's, that's a false cue. Yep. I'm just glad I thought of you know, this and I scenario. Can hold it. You know, I'm glad you felt validated. Hypothetically. <laughs> you know, no one's... In your experiences. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks for being supportive. Wonderful. Well, this has definitely been a one-on-one episode for me. My brain is still kind of processing everything. And this is going to be like, listen to it a couple more times. But um, I've loved this. And I think this is going to be super helpful for yeah. women who maybe didn't even couldn't even put the words to their symptoms and we'll hear your voice and your like expertise and be able to say oh my goodness I can work on these things I can improve yeah. I can optimize my health in this way mm-hmm. so yeah thank men you so too. Much. if you're having pelvic pain pain with sex leaking all the things there's help for you out there too yeah that's wonderful such an encouraging encouraging message cool thanks guys thank uh, you Emily have an awesome day and thank you, you so much for coming on thank you bye and with that, Emily Duncan has left the doctor. Emily Duncan has left the virtual chat. Yes, she has. And Joey's feeling more validated than ever, just in case anyone was wondering. I mean, it was just a hypothetical. <laughs> My wife does not actually need to stop every 30 minutes in the car. You know what? A lot of things I was like already instinctively, intuitively doing, like seriously with my ab core workouts, it's something I'm cognizant of because I've had a C-section. So I'm like, my muscles have already been shredded. I know, Mm. even though it was seven years ago. So when I'm doing ab workouts, I'm really trying to activate the deep core. And now I have language to put around that. And I can think about my pelvic floor as I'm doing it. And, um, I think if I would have known back then, I probably would have gone and seen a therapist, just not that I was experiencing anything in particular, but just like a little tune up, Hmm. you know, I dig it. So I think anytime you have like an entire section of the body, you know, absolutely nothing about that, as we learned today can impact so many other things. Mm -hmm. It's always just good to, to, to learn. And there was definitely a different episode. You know, we said a lot of words we don't usually say on here and, you know, you kept a straight face the whole time, so I'm really proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, it was great. It was very interesting. And I think when you talk about something like this in an academic kind of way, it is definitely less funny. <laughs> but I was holding it together sometimes, right? <laughs> there was definitely a few t- moments where I'm like, this, the, she's having the most re- just insane conversations with people on a regular basis, right? So take the spoon the and the fork and the towel that she's into giving the to bathroom. People, you know what I mean? She's giving people suggestions that sound just right. Where, where what are we doing? I mean, it's like um, outstanding. She's she's great, super enjoyable to talk to. Highly, highly, highly recommend people that if this is actually something, um, all kidding and joking aside, that you you have um, issues with or you're dealing with, reach out to her. She was so fun to talk to. She clearly loves this and she's very passionate about it and and would likely be just lit lit up to to see people. Uh, reaching out to her and, and to not feel alone. I mean, that's that's huge stuff right there. Some mm-hmm. some of these things that can be very isolating, especially for some ladies out there that are dealing with different issues that they don't want to talk about. 100%. Or have been told by their mother, their grandmother, whatever, that this is just how it is. Yeah. Um, man, pretty cool to to have an option, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's not maybe waving a magic wand. And it'd be something you'd have to put the effort in and, and she wants to help, but... Uh, uh, super, super cool stuff. Yeah, go hit her up. That's Dr. Emily Duncan on Instagram. We'll obviously tag her in the show notes, but fantastic educational conversation. 
Anyways, speaking of education, we do education over here. We have educational resources on our website that we have for nutrition. You can go buy those for your kids and for yourself. If you've been listening to the show long enough, you know that. Head over to homegrowneducation.org and uh, pick yourself up some homeschool curriculum or curriculum for your kids to get in the real food game. Uh, we've got that for you. We've also got a shop, hazemargoods.com, mm-hmm. shoptheh.com. Mm-hmm. Get your coffee, your tea, sourdough tools, things like proofing baskets that are homemade cotton. Way better at keeping things from sticking, but also can fold up and fit into that small drawer. I mean, just all the reviews we're hearing, there's actually things that I'm learning about them, like the, the, advantage, the advantages of them. Like we knew they were better. We knew they were better Bantons or proofing baskets, right? But there's things that people have found like, wow, I could fold it up. And, and I, was, I was like, oh, we didn't, we didn't fold ours up. But you know, anyway, it's super, super Yeah, cool it stuff. is really cool to hear people's experiences. We got large dish soap, body soap, all that stuff. And so much more coming on hazemargoods.com, shoptheh.com. Get on there, check it out. Anything else? YouTube. If you haven't been to our YouTube channel yet, what are you doing? Yeah, how do they get there? They go to YouTube and they type in homegrown underscore education. That's it. And in the thing, and they can find us. That's it. Great. It, it's the same profile picture as Instagram. Um, it'll it should have a bio, I mm-hmm. think. And we're loving it. We're posting videos every single Monday. Right now, that's at seven p.m. We might adjust the time a little bit, um, but we're loving the videos. And they're only going to get better. They are only going to get better. So check it out. Hit us up on YouTube. Check that out. More free content. Ways that we're going to bring you on this journey that we have here of exploring, you know, fascinating topics. We haven't done any of the things on YouTube yet that maybe we talked about today with Emily and maybe we won't, but who knows? <laughs> um, anyways, um, if, uh, if, if you liked what you heard, you know, go give us a review, give us a like on YouTube and uh, until next time, that's a wrap.